Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. Hello from the very first episode of Darren's Dash. This is the show where I'm the one that gets to pick the movies and not that certain mad Welsh person. Finally! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> nice one, Darren. Things are looking up at last. Today's Dash includes Jolt, Another Round and Guns Akimbo. Without any further ado, it's over to Darren. First up film is a straight-to-Amazon action movie directed by Jason Lee Howden and it is Guns Akimbo. Now, this is an absolutely crazy action film. It's set in a world where the latest internet sensation is a website called Schism that hosts live gladiatorial-like fights to the death, where the most popular fighter is Nyx, a warrioress played by Samara Weaving. Daniel Radcliffe stars in this as a nerdy computer programmer who gets drunk one night and makes the mistake of trolling the site's message board, which causes the organisers to kidnap him and surgically nail guns to his hands with 100 bullets in each. He's then forced into the latest contest against Nyx, and raising the stakes, they also kidnap his girlfriend, which leads to Nick's hunting him down on the streets with a live, rabid audience watching. Oh, that old chestnut. <laughs> God. There is a lot that Guns Akimbo could say about internet culture, about reality TV show, about violence in our popular media, but to be honest, it doesn't bother with any of that. It just bombards us <laughs> with non-stop neon-laced action and bloody violence. And frankly, I was actually okay with this because it's so relentless, so over the top. And I thought it was just a really fun movie the entire time. It was ridiculously loud, ridiculously colourful. Yeah, you can argue a film like this is very much style over substance, but sometimes that's kind of just what I uh, need. You know, sometimes you want to listen to Twisted Sister and the mood for some really, really fun anarchy. And this is the sort of film that provides this. The great thing about this film that I loved was the two leads. Radcliffe is absolutely great at being this panicking nerd was totally out of his depth, running from every fight that he can and hiding, but slowly becoming a cult phenomenon as he gets fan following. And Samara Weaving is an absolute riot as a complete badass. This is the sort of role that she can do in her sleep now. The villains were real, really colourful. The main bad guy was really sort of spooky. And I really got into the whole inevitable team-up between Radcliffe and Weaving as they basically decided to take the fight to the bad guys. Radcliffe's girlfriend also I, I really liked a lot. The story really didn't make a ton of sense at times. There was a backstory and motivation of Nick's, which I, I frankly wasn't convinced by at all. And sometimes the style became just a little bit too much with the slow motion and stuff. But the action was always fun, and which is a good job because 97% of the time is what that film was. It was full of energy. It basically had far more action than most action films in there. It was non-stop. And I personally liked it as for, for what it was, just a really loud, bizarre movie. Now, what's interesting on this, so this is the one of the Dash films that I've seen. I haven't seen any of the others, so I'm waiting to hear what you've got to say on them. 
I made the mistake of watching this film the day after the Plymouth incident, the massacre with the guns. It left a really bad taste in my mouth. I'm not saying it's not a good film. It is a good film. It's crazy on that comic book level. But at that time, I really got turned off it a little bit. So I'm going to have to, in some point in the future, go back and watch it again. I do agree. I thought Radcliffe was great. Samara Weaving... I said in our main review show this month that Margot Robbie has nailed that part of Harley Quinn, but if ever she retires from it, there's the person that's going to take over. Not only does she look a bit like Margot Robbie, but the anarchy that she brings to that character of Nick's. I mean, this girl can do no wrong. I'll just go out my way now to watch anything she's in. She is simply brilliant. That part of it was good, but I think I'll leave it a couple of months before going back to it. Anybody else yet? Of course I saw it. Hmm. I think it's really good. It's uh, the highest of concept action movie. It's really unsentimental as well, and it's brutally violent. Samara Weaving, I thought, was the standout, and I'm glad to hear that you'll be watching Snake Eyes soon, Jeff, because she's in that. Yes, yeah, Um, I've actually got... Look, she's even in a film from one of the most overrated directors in Hollywood, Damien Chazelle, and I'm going to watch that because she's in it. I don't need to add much more to what Darren said. He kind of covers the whole thing. It's it's a really good, high-concept action movie that's got lots and lots of action. Anybody else seen it? Nope. No. I wait. I always wait for Darren. Darren to review them first. Okay, so would you watch it on the strength of what you've yep. just heard? Sounds great. Okay. Clearly, you two haven't got my moral conscience. Oh, you oh. self-righteous <laughs> twat. <laughs> God, go on, Jeff. Put yourself up on a pedestal. <laughs> I, I already have, so we can knock uh, you down. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a good start, Darren. What we got next? Another straight to Amazon Prime movie, and this one is directed by Tanya Wexler, and it's a film called Jolt, and it stars Kate Beckinsale as a young woman with outstanding temper issues. She's had a disorder from being a child that basically causes her to go into an absolute violent rage at the slightest little thing that annoys her. If she sees somebody being rude or inconsiderate, she'll basically just absolutely go on a rampage and starts beating the hell out of people. She goes through life joining the army and trying to find an outlet for this condition that she's got. And eventually she meets a psychiatrist played by Stanley Tucci, who uh, comes up with the idea of fitting a vest on her, which allows her to give herself electric shocks. So whenever she feels like the rage coming up on there, she presses a button and gets shot and manages to hopefully bypass the, uh, the incident without having to turn to violence. And as part of his therapy, she actually goes out on a date with this guy as an experiment to see if she can calm down enough to be in a social uh, standing. And the thing is, she actually starts to like this guy and care about him. When he's actually found murdered... She uses her rage to go on a revenge spree on the underworld trying to track down the killer. Now, I have to say that I am an absolute massive minority in this film. Everybody else seems to hate this movie. It's been getting reviewed in a lot of podcasts. I seem to be the only one that likes it. Now, I've got to say, unlike Guns Akimbo, this is not an action film. What I actually really liked about it, though was that Kate Beckinsale's character I found really appealing. She was a mix of being really, really aggressive, 
but also having this like quirky side to her. And also at times she had this real vulnerability because of the condition that she had. She found it hard to relate to people and get close to them. She actually came across as quite lonely. And then I also found it really satisfying being with this character. She was able to live out a sort of something that I think a lot of us would probably like to. So when she saw things like rude commuters on the underground or nasty waitresses or obnoxious customers, she would lose a temper and absolutely go ballistic at them. And so I found that really sort of, you know, satisfying in a weird sort of way. And it was fun hanging out with her character. I actually found the interactions that she had with Tushi really fun. He was obviously absolutely scared of her. Laverne Cox was in there as a detective who was trying to track her down when she went on this crusade and they had some really really fun clashes between them there's one scene that I actually found hilarious which was in the maternity ward where Beckinsale was throwing babies at Laverne Cox to try to get away which, which I, I, I thought was absolutely hilarious the problem with the film was, like I say, is that the action it sort of it let itself down with. It, it probably wasn't as over the top or as gritty as you would expect. The villains generally were bland, and I think the sort of the climax that it built to was really lacking something. But the film was under 90 minutes and I was really entertained by it as well, basically because I thought Kate Beckinsale, just her character, I just really, really liked. It wasn't a great movie, I, I get that. But to me, it, it had that sort of like really pleasing neon look to it. The character, there was something satisfying about having this really aggressive character. Kind of a poor man's falling down, I guess you could call it that, without the social uh, commentary. But overall, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. So the way you describe this makes it sound to me, and I haven't seen it, in the promising young woman bracket. Is that right? I would say it's nowhere near clever enough to be that film. I get where you're sort of going, the way I've described it. It's not got the depth of a film like that. This is very much like a pulp-type movie. Never gets any more than that. There's no sort of social um, you know, relevance to it or, or anything that you can get into. It's just a pulp movie with a, with a pulp plot. For an under-90-minute film, I, I actually found that really satisfying. Okay, so you've given a positive review on this, and then there's Graham. I'm definitely a grumpy old guy. As usual. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I like Kate Beckinsale, and I thought her interactions with Tucci were great. And I did laugh at it, but I just found it very, very unsatisfactory. I really wanted more from this film, and it just didn't seem to deliver. I think she was wasted. I really do. I think she was wasted. She's really badass. She was meant to have this anger management issue, but she didn't go completely nuts and, you know, smash everything up. She had a a few punch-ups, but they always were cut very quickly and moved on to the next point. And I didn't like the boyfriend guy, and I thought the ending was not great. The chemistry between her and Tucci was so good. I thought that they were going to make this weird, odd buddy villain thing where, you know, he was helping her and she was helping him, and they were going on these missions together but he was always carried the gun in case he had to shoot her because she'd get out of control. But it never happened. The other thing that annoyed me is it was filmed in Britain, but they were trying to pretend it was America. And that just irritated me because all the road signs were British road signs and things Hmm. like that. It just drove me mad. I I did find that odd because I was trying to figure out, well, is this Britain or America? That bit was very odd. Going to your point about her, her rampages never really sort of getting that thing. 
think about it, I actually would have preferred if they didn't bother with the whole revenge plot. The film was more her trying to adapt to this uh, situation with the harness that she's got, but also her going around life and just getting irritated by regular people and all those scenarios. You, you know, so it's, you know, in a bit like what, what Falling Down did. You know, and just and just basically her sort of like going through, you know, because let's face it, there's almost like a Basil Fawlty on a rampage type thing. Just her going through like one scenario where people are annoying and inconsiderate and her just having to deal with that rather than this uh, revenge crusade. I think that might have been a more fun movie and, and giving you more sort of something a little bit different than fighting your way up to meet the, uh, the boss man. Okay. Phil? Last time I went off on a big tirade about a film I hated in the dash, which was The Tomorrow War. So I could go for the short version and say everything that I liked about Joel, and that is that it is only 91 minutes long. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I hated it. I thought it was awful. And actually, uh, Darren mentioned stunt doubles i mean the only reason that beckinsale appears to have a blonde wig in this is so that her stunt double can match her it was uh, it was was awful the action was awful the villains were forgettable the buddy cop thing with bobby cannavale and laverne cox was just cartoonish oh that was bad the sequel baiting at the end the fact (laughs) that it was a poor version of crank 2 high voltage yeah just didn't like it and do you know what I don't have the same anger that I had towards the Tomorrow War because that had a good concept, but this just doesn't. So it was just 90 minutes of my time. Yeah. Okay. So, Neil, would you watch Jolt? I'm not sure. I, I, I've put question mark against it. Possibly, yeah. Okay. The Forever Purge is next then, is it, Darren? Oh, God. Uh, it is, yeah. Oh, sorry, Darren, before you start, uh, Graham, you said, oh, God, you've seen it then? No, I've seen the trailer. Just... Oh, right, okay, so you judge a book by its cover. I am, in this yeah, case, right. yes, okay. Jeff. Fair enough, yes. I'm shocked. I'm, I, I am, I'm shocked, I'm shocked. You're, sorry, you're like those sorry are you wobbling on your pinnacle now? Do you want to get back up on there, yeah? Yes, I do. Self-righteousness, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Over to you, Darren. If you don't know... Already, the Purge movies are a series of films which are all set in America where a radical conservative group called the New Founding Fathers are in power. And one night a year, there is a, um, a holiday, which is treated as called The Purge, where for 12 hours, all crime becomes legal. Emergency services are unavailable and people are just allowed to purge and get their darker desires out of the system. Groups of people go out and cause havoc, wearing weird Halloween-type costumes, and just go on an absolute 12-hour rage. There is a, um, a subplot in there that, in the previous film, that hints that the government is actually using the purge for its own political uh, agendas. This is the fifth film in the series. The founders have actually uh, reinstated the purge after being voted out for the, uh, the previous four years. And we follow a couple of families in Texas, one family that owns a ranch and the family of some of the immigrant workers who basically all take shelter during the purge itself and they survive the night. Uh, However, when the purge officially is due to uh, end at 7am, some groups start to carry on the violence and a lot of it seems racially motivated and this breaks out across the country. Ironically, Mexico actually opens its borders for a short time for refugees to flee from the uh, purge. 
and the survivors of the ranch family and the workers band together and uh, make their way to hopefully to get across the border and to safety. I really, really like the Purge movies. And I also absolutely loved the TV spin-off that they did, but sadly only lasted for two seasons. To me, this has got a really simple premise, but there is so much potential for different stories, for different characters, and having political slants in an exploitation sort of way. Um, in the previous films, the, the Purge prequel that shows the very first Purge has almost like a black exploitation feel to it. And one of the uh, Purge films as well also dealt with the election year. Uh, which actually coincided with the um, with the election that um, that Trump got in for. So there you go. This one has some parallels with that when I was watching it. That felt like what had happened in Washington earlier this year when um, Marga marched on the uh, on the Capitol buildings. Although I later found out that the film was actually wrapped filming after this had happened. But to me, this film was kind of about what happens when you give agency or give an opportunity to certain really radical um, groups like we got um, during the um, Trump administration with the white supremacist uh, movement. They basically found some sort of power in that and went on um, on its own thing and was something that the government couldn't control. And that's what you had here. This, to me, is a film that if you like the Purge movies like me, you'll like it because it's pretty much the same as the other Purge movies. It's got all the craziness. It's got the weird Halloween costumes, all the bizarre violent acts. And it's got, to me, something that I've always liked about this film is the tension of people trying to survive through the anarchy when you've got the streets of America, which have turned into like a Mad Max environment. This one I really like because you had the idea of rich ranch owners and poor workers having to band together against what's turned out to be a predominantly white supremacist movement that was trying to use the purge to attack minorities. And the fact that the group had to find assistance from Native Americans who were going to war against the regnet purges, these films are not subtle and they're not even clever, but I find them absolutely fascinating. The action is good. It's very sort of down-to-earth. There is something really scary about the whole idea of this uh, anarchy for 12 hours. Apparently, this was meant to be the last film in the series. However, word is that they actually are coming back to do uh, another couple of films which will deal with a worldwide purge, which I've got to admit I am really, really excited for. Once again, if you like the Purge movies, I think you'll enjoy this. There's a lot in there. If you don't like the series, then this one isn't going to change your mind. But I personally absolutely loved it. Uh, Phil, you'd be the only one that's seen this. Actually, the very last line of my review is, fans of the series will be happy. Everyone else could probably take or leave it. I enjoyed it. I didn't like the prequel Purge movie. I thought that was awful, but I've quite enjoyed the others. They're kind of very on-the-nose fun, enjoyable sort of references to politics. And I found it really interesting that somebody engaged with me on Twitter on this review and asked me why I thought it was political. And I thought that was a bit odd. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's quite enjoyable, actually. And there's quite a cool sort of Western standoff at the end. I've never seen any of these, so I must at some point see them out. Uh, Graham and Neil, would you watch a Purge film? No. No. <laughs> that was easy. They're not, they're not horror films, guys. What? What's, oh, don't what's you the, start. Don't you start. <laughs> they're not horror films, are they? 
the first one's kind of like a home invasion movie. But then after that, yeah, they, exactly. they pretty much become like America turning into a Mad Max environment for the night. And, and two of them have Frank Grillo in there. But I, I personally think they're really fun movies. It has a concept. And, and I also, if anyone has, because the TV series, I'm not even sure if many people are actually even aware of it. The TV show expands on some of the questions that you ask about how the purge works and everything. And so the two, the two seasons of the TV show, I, I think are, re- are really worth checking out if you like these films. Mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> You're not sold it. <laughs> I'm not all. convinced. No, no. I mean, it's, it, they've attracted decent sort of cast members as well because, I mean, Ethan Hawke's in the first one, isn't he? And Frank Grillo's in the next two and Marissa Tomei's in the fourth one. I'm definitely going to give them a try. What will work to pull them into this, Darren, is a film not in the English language. Have oh, we got one God. of those? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always put it in a different language. Put it in French. Uh, and is your next review in English? It is not. My next review is actually Danish. And it's a, a little bit more um, highbrow and intelligent, this one. This one is Another Round, starring Mads Mikkelsen, and directed by Thomas Winterberg. And this one, Mad Mickelson, in, in an absolutely wonderful performance, plays a depressed teacher who is failing at his job. He's failing to inspire his students. He's failing with his home life. His, his wife admits that she finds him really boring nowadays. And during a birthday drink that he has with three of his friends, he, he breaks down. And he finds that his friends have been feeling the same sort of feeling as well. They're going through kind of like a midlife crisis. And they begin discussing this theory that they've read about, this theory that humans have a 0.5 natural alcohol deficiency. And they speculate that if you could drink just enough to cover that 0.5, to bring it to the level that you're supposed to have and maintain it, it would help you with your cognitive and social skills and your imagination. So they decide to try this. When at work, they drink just enough to have the 0.5 alcohol going into their system and maintain it. And they find that it actually opens their minds to a more creative way of doing their jobs. And they find they're more relaxed. And they find that they have a better time. They can relate to people more. They have better relationships. Their work life, their social life and their family life starts to improve. The first half of this film felt like a propaganda film for the alcohol industry. But naturally, as things go on, things start to go awry. They decide to push things just that little bit further and see if they can't just by drinking just a little bit more will increase their happiness and, and their workability. And then things start to spiral out of control, take things too far. One of them starts to show signs of alcoholism. The second half becomes a lot darker. I initially, I found it slow to get going. But once you get a feel of what the film is and where it's going, it really becomes absolutely fascinating, especially early on where you've got these um, really mundane guys who, going through their midlife crisis, have started to find the youth again. And it's through the successes that they, in, that they start to enjoy life. In a sense, this is a midlife crisis movie. But I think it's also a film about finding balance in life. It's about... Finding that balance of having fun and I'm taking your work and your life seriously, but also having the freedom to enjoy things and live life how you want to and have a a carefree life, but be aware of your responsibilities. I absolutely thought this film was outstanding. It won an Oscar and a BAFTA award for Best Foreign or International Movie. 
Mads Mikkelsen was absolutely compelling going through this really bored, uninspiring man and subtly turning around his fortunes. And there are some wonderful, joyous scenes of celebration. It's a film that you really have to sit and think about a lot after you've seen it because it's, it's kind of got a message that goes in different direction. And the the conclusion, so to, for watching it for the first time, it doesn't wrap everything into a bow for you as, as an audience. After everything that happens, you, you might find the, the final scene rather strange. But this is a film that's really worth the time sitting down and, and watching. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. Yes, Jeff, I'd watch this one. Yes, definitely. Before you say anything. Yeah, well, pretentious gits probably would leap into that one, wouldn't they? I imagine you're there as well, Neil. Yeah, uh, yeah Phil, I just said so. Yeah, yeah I thought so. Uh, Phil, this is the one you haven't seen, is it? Yeah, this is the one that defeated me because, as usual, the film that sounds the best on the list doesn't <laughs> actually have a, a cinema release in me. So they had an unlimited screening at Cineworld, and I couldn't make that. And that was the only screening they had. <laughs> there was no actual release of it at my local or, or sort of next local cinema. So I am waiting for this to come onto streaming. Excellent. I, I must admit, I'd watch it as well, mainly because of the alcohol content, <laughs> not the pretentious bollocks that others would watch it for. Um, I think we've got one more left, haven't we, Darren? We do, we do. Okay, so this is Minari. And, and oh, finally... Wow. Yeah, this is when I finally managed to catch up with this because I've been a bit lapsed with my um, Oscar-nominated films this year. This one is directed by Lee's Isaac Chung. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And I have to say, this is a really, really tough film to watch. Not because it's not good, because it actually is pretty goddamn great, but it's a tough film to watch because it's all about a family who have a really tough, heartbreaking um, story throughout. It's about a family of Korean immigrants who move from California to Arkansas, where the farmer has dreams of turning a large stretch of land into a farm where he can grow Korean food with the idea of selling it to Korean immigrants who are wanting a taste of home. But he sinks every, everything that they've got into this farm. And he has to balance his work on the farm with him and his wife's job at a chicken farm where their really mundane job is to sort the male chicks from the female chicks because the female chicks basically get sold on to be used as food and to lay hens, and the male chicks, shall we say, get disposed of. Which is a, a slightly grim theme, which actually runs through the film where the uh, the head of the house, the, the father, feels that he has to prove his worth and be a, a uh, be a provider, and he has to prove his worth. And that's why that structure drives him to um, make a success of his farm with, with the farm that he's building. Now, to help look after the children, the uh, the family bring their grandmother over from Korea. Now, this causes problems because she's the one that's basically going to be babysitting and looking after the kids while the family out work. The little boy really takes a dislike to her, particularly doesn't like her because of her traditional Korean ways. He complains that she smells funny, that the food that she makes is um, really weird and he doesn't like. And it creates this tension amongst the family. Now, I've got to say that this film is absolutely beautiful it's a great film about family life and about working hard but it's also completely harrowing because these families have big dreams and they're working as hard as they can to get there but they never seem to be able to catch a break and as you watch this film you're absolutely begging for something to go right for them it's absolutely heartbreaking they manage to not be a depression movie partly because there's some really wonderful and tender moments 
particularly between my grandmother and the little boy, who, as the film go on, start to have a little bond between them. The grandmother is absolutely hilarious, by the way. The actress who played her, she won the uh, Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars this uh, year, and she's won tons of awards elsewhere for this role. And she is absolutely wonderful. Her character is absolutely delight and really drives the movie. Another thing that is absolutely gorgeous about this this film is the score, which is like a character in this film. It's got this really simple, melancholy tune to it that expresses the the openness of of the um, of the world that they're living in, and also the sort of you know the the danger with the storms and the sort of the, the seclusion that they feel as people, but also as a family out in the wilderness. It's an absolutely wonderful movie and it's all about having dreams and what happens when those dreams, even though they're similar, are incompatible with each other, the divisions that it causes and the, the, the father's quest to basically make his family proud of, of him by doing something more than just as he calls it, looking up chicken's asses all day. It's it's a great film about the sort of the immigrant experience. Surprisingly, there's actually very little overt racism in this movie. It's, it's actually quite frank because this family have so much to deal with anyway that the actual the race any racism or prejudice that's had to, towards them. It's very clear as they interact with the community that they are different. That side of it is very very gently done, and I think if they had sort of gone uh, that route. As interesting as it might have been, it would have really made the film over top dark and depressing. It was absolutely delightful, heartbreaking in moments, but also sort of inspiring in others. And I thought it was an absolute delight. To me, it gave No Man Lad a real run for its money. It's a similar sort of film in some ways. It's not as joyful or idealistic as No Man Land. It's a, a little more realistic and tough to watch. It does compliment Nomad Lad. I would not have been disappointed if this had won over Nomad Land for the Best Picture Oscar. Okay. Wow. Right. Uh, Phil, you, you've seen this one? Yeah, so I watched this in the lead-up to the Oscars because I wanted to have seen all of the Best Picture films before they picked. I mean, I definitely think this is better than Nomad Lands, but I had Nomad Lands as probably the least interesting of, of all the Best Picture films. It's an interesting one because, so it's semi-autobiographical and it's about life and it kind of has vignettes of the the family's life and their trials, what they face. And I found my interest and engagement drifted depending on the trial or tribulation that they were facing at that time. So I didn't fully connect with it there were moments that I thought were revelatory and just really sweet and lovely and I thought the acting in it was fantastic Stephen Ewan I thought was brilliant but there were also moments where I kind of drifted out of it because I I wasn't as engaged with the particular story at the time because it's not traditional storytelling it's it's life as it happens I thought the best thing about it was the photography it was absolutely amazing the farm that they live on is just a swathe of verdant green and baked in bright sunshine. And the shots of the landscape are just magical. And the director clearly doing a heartfelt ode to his father and his childhood and his life. 
I can't quite recommend it in quite glowing terms that Darren does, but it is still a really good film. Okay, I, I take it, well, I know Neil hasn't seen it. Graham, you seen it? I haven't seen this film. It's definitely on my list to watch, and, yeah, I can't wait to watch it. Uh, I mean, I've just spotted that Shoplifters is going to be on Channel 4, so I'll watch these two together because I think these were um, two outstanding foreign language films. Hang on, nobody said uh, this is in a foreign language yet. Well, mo- oh, mo- no. most of it is because it's a, a Korean family. So, so the, the oh, vast right, majority okay. of it is. Right. <laughs> you put Jeff off now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, for yeah, God's right. sake, Jeff. Come on. Right, okay. Neil will definitely watch it then. Oh, subtitle. definitely. Yeah. 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 No. Well, thank you for the dash. Um, it was going so well until I learned that was in a foreign language. <laughs> right, anyway. <laughs> dash film of the month. Darren? Oh, God. It's a really tough choice uh, between Minari and another round. I think I'm going to go for Minari. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that that's a wrap, and the first Darren's Dash at the Flicks is in the can. Excellent. You pleased with the way this is working, Darren? Absolutely. I'm pleased that we can all wallow in my choices of the uh, films this month. Thanks for listening, and goodbye. Cheers. Thank you. Well done.